Hello and welcome to the Angry Pharmacist Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Cristello, and I'm a diabetes health coach and a medication expert and a diabetes clinician, and I may one or two times been accused of being an angry pharmacist. But it's because I like the world of medicine and medications to actually make sense and to actually help people. And I get a little angry when that doesn't happen. Oh, well. Well, today's episode, I'm actually going to take you through my story. Now, don't be alarmed. It's really not that boring. The point I want to share with you today about my story is why I went from a super trained, lots of letters behind my name, clinician in a practice, making a great salary, helping people with diabetes, to transitioning to an independent, homemade diabetes health coach where my salary isn't guaranteed and neither are my clients, you know, into the world of entrepreneurship. Why did I make such a massive jump? And guys, it was absolutely for you and to save lives. And I hope today that you will sit get some insight into maybe some of the things your doctor is thinking about while you're approaching them with topics like, I don't want to take these drugs and <laughs> I isn't there a better way? Um, Because they are trained, they have been through a program, I was in the program myself, and I'm going to give you some insight into that today. So I hope you'll stick around for that. But first, let me remind you, if you do have type 2 diabetes or any kind of diabetes, I've got some great freebies on my website. You can head over there at www.drchristella.com. Go get my low-carb desserts. Go get my download of the Little Book of Pricks Blood Sugar Log. And you know what? Try some of that. Just for today, maybe you'll put a little more of a smile on your face and uh, that will help ease the burden. Because I know when it comes to diabetes, people are very, very serious. But you know what? I think we need to laugh a little bit so we can start to heal. Okay? All right, cool. So let's get on to my story of uh, how I came to be this independent diabetes health coach and what it really means to me. Okay, and it actually started with me being a clinical pharmacist. And I gotta say, I'm a pretty good one. I know I, I'm not, we're, we shouldn't like toot our own horn, but I can see stuff and see patterns that a lot of people are missing, okay? But that's the training, that's what we're designed to do. But what that means is I took extra training after pharmacy school for a total of a four years bachelor degree, four years of pharmacy school, and two years of residency training And then passed an exam to become board certified in chronic disease management, okay? So just to to give you some insight into how long I've been studying and being a giant nerd in order to bring people away from the brink of utter health catastrophe, okay? And a lot of other doctors have done that too, but for some reason we forget how overeducated pharmacists can be, (laughs) all right? So that's where I started. And everybody in pharmacy actually has a few starter jobs. We start out somewhere, we gain experience, we learn what we like and what we don't like, because there's lots and lots of roles pharmacists can play. Um, And I did that myself. And after several of these starter jobs in pharmacy that proved, of course, invaluable, I arrived at what we call the, quote, the show. And maybe you don't know, but pharmacists work very hard to avoid working in chain drugstores if they don't want to, all right? Those drugstores really can be hell on earth for pharmacists, so send them some love, okay? So I landed a job working in an actual primary care clinic, and it was amazing, and I loved every second of it, 
because people called me Dr. Ello, and which is appropriate because I'm a doctor of pharmacy. I had my own office. I had my own nameplate. I was a provider. And I was actually a very successful and respected clinician in that role, right? Pretty awesome. Walking down the street, puffing my chest out. Um, now, don't worry. I actually didn't let this turn me into an arrogant jerk, but I didn't realize I was about to learn some serious stuff about chronic disease. In fact, I thought I knew a lot more about managing people's health than I did. But so I'm very grateful for this experience. Okay. So here comes my very rude awakening. <laughs> All right. Um, I didn't know how much I didn't know until I met the most stubborn patient on the planet. And I love her to death. But because she is the one who forced me to challenge everything doctors and patients are taught about chronic disease. Okay. So I'm sure you've noticed that you go into the doctor and you tell them something, okay, but they already have something in place in their head that tells you you're wrong, okay? If you go into the doctor's office and say, I'm using this drug just as needed, okay? They already have something in their brain that says that's wrong, that's not how that works, okay? But you can say, but I get relief when I take it. And they can be like, no, 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 that's not how it works. You see, there's already a barrier there because they are taught this is, this is how it is. There's no other place. They are in a program, and I was in that program too. So this patient challenged me. Of course, in my defense, she didn't know much about chronic disease either, but she did have the insight to be like, look, something's wrong. We're missing something. Okay? Now, ironically, me, I actually prided myself on being great with patient care because I was able to meet people where they were, right, instead of forcing a treatment plan on them. Have you ever been in that situation where the doctor's like, this is your treatment plan and you have no choice? Okay, that's stupid and it sucks. Okay, at least, at the very least, I didn't do that to people. Because if they weren't ready and they didn't want it, I couldn't force it on them. You have a patient bill of rights. But for this particular stubborn woman, I could not help her. Okay? I couldn't help her meeting her where she is. And I didn't help her with my treatment plan. And this was the summer of 2017. So this patient had uncontrolled diabetes. And from listening to her, she had had it for years and years. I mean, she was telling me stuff that she didn't see as diabetes symptoms, but I know they actually were, all right? And I asked her, um, she was actually, excuse me, she was actually asked to come see me so I can get her started on insulin, show her how to do it, explain what's going to happen. And her primary care doctor told me to do that. And you know what? Her numbers at the time, it was reasonable for her to start this insulin. Now, this is when, again, I was knee deep in the clinical guidelines, following, quote, best practices is what they call it in the medical field. And so I gave her a treatment plan to follow as per these practices. And when she returned for her follow-up visit in four weeks, I was expecting all kinds of changes. But guess what? Nothing had improved. Not really. Her A1C went down slightly. Her average blood sugars went down slightly because of the insulin. But her symptoms were not better. She didn't feel any better in the body. Her body didn't have any relief. Okay? So we were essentially at square one. But now... I also had to worry about expensive insulin and daily shots and the side effects of that insulin. So I didn't make much progress, but I made it, I added a massive liability for this patient and for me. I mean, had I just made the situation worse? Had I just made her weight worse? So in this situation, the best practices failed her and so did I. And many other pr providers and clinicians are, are, are in this situation and I got to tell you, they blame it on the patient. They blame it on the patient because there's something they don't know. There's something the patient didn't tell them. It's not their fault. And they just continue with the plan because that's what they are taught. 
Okay. And I'm grateful for the moment where I'm like, listen, I have a lot of training. This should not be how it is. I ask myself, seriously, if one patient is slightly complicated and I can't help her, what the hell was all of this training worth? Why did I even do that? All right. So when she left my office, I decided to revisit everything I thought I knew. All right. And I should have been able to help her. I should have been able to help her. Well, let me tell you, you learn some great stuff when you start going to the main source of all of our information about medicine and medical practice and managing diabetes. When you start looking at the studies that are not included in the clinical guidelines. Can you believe that? The clinical guidelines should be taking all of the studies about a given topic and, and, and looking at them and deciding if they're worth anything. And they leave a lot of studies out. Did you know that? Well, I learned that that day as well. So like the research that actually helps people live without meds, that really wasn't included. Okay, I found hundreds of studies that were brushed over because either the author wasn't connected or the thesis countered that of a more prestigious clinician. Okay, do you get what I, see what I'm getting at? They're cherry picking studies. All right, and putting like one study got in where people were looked at for an hour after one infusion, but then another study wasn't let in because you know, some really silly, re it was crazy, the stuff that was brushed over. And it was, it was clearly intentional. It was clearly like some kind of agenda going on. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but it was so obvious that this data that was helping people was being left out. Okay, so let me just tell you in a nutshell that we knew decades ago that the nutritional guidelines were leading to the obesity problem and causing a massive diabetes epidemic, but we kept on shoving outdated and harmful recommendations up patient, student, dietitian, nutritionist, and provider butts anyway. Okay, so we, okay, th there's something in place that is, that is only showing people a certain way of learning diseases and not the primary literature, which is telling us all we got to do is change the way we eat. I mean, I'm pretty sure the drug companies had like nothing to do with this convenient system. Okay. <laughs> Not. Of course they did. All right. Can you imagine if everybody suddenly got, got better, how much money they'd lose? Anyway. So at this point, I'm super embarrassed. I'm in my office. I'm like flush red. I'm reading these studies. I'm like embarrassed for myself. And I was pissed because I, I realized also, I mean, not just for me, but people are going years with the wrong concept of what was healthy. And despite needing more and more medications every year, those people are still convinced, and maybe you are too, that they were doing everything they could about their diabetes. And that's just the way it was. And they just got the, they just lost the genetic lottery and there's, there's just nothing they could do. I, what I'm basically saying is that I realized I was full of shit. And so was every other doctor who told patients that diabetes is a chronic progressive disease. But that telling people get used to taking pills the rest of your life, there was something more than that. There was something beyond that. There was another choice. So let me tell you, I didn't ask for permission to initiate changes. After that, everything was different and I couldn't ignore it. So I started treating patients with food and learned everything I could about the deeper underlying issues of type 2 diabetes, type 1, type 1 and a half. And guess what? My patients got off meds. They stayed off meds. Well, at least my type 2 patients. My type 1 peeps, though, Realized they didn't need to eat every hour. They lost weight. They reduced their insulin use. And they appreciated some normal blood sugars in their life. They, they were so used to just, this is how my blood sugars are, and that's as good as I can get. But they actually got normal blood sugars and started living 
it honestly was like a Christmas miracle. <laughs> and, but as, and as long as the numbers, the, the HEDIS metrics, HEDIS scores are like report cards for physician, uh, physicians and providers are like report cards. And as long as those stayed the same, people, they kind of stayed off my back and things were looking good. Okay. All right. They, you know, I, I had a few scuffles with people trying to tell me certain foods didn't raise blood sugar, which is ridiculous. But after that, it was fine. Okay. Now, just as I thought things were looking up and I had found renewed pride in my work, my father became acutely and seriously ill and he passed away at the age of 63. He died on Father's Day, June 17th, 2018. I'm telling you this because it's important. Now, I really don't have words to express this loss. I still don't have words to express it because I can't believe physically he's not there. I still can't believe I can't call him on the phone and have a conversation. But it was crazy. And he was admitted to the hospital on April 29th, got transferred to several hospitals, and then he just never came home. He had one of the worst cases of Guillain-Barre syndrome the doctors had ever seen. And it really progressed quickly. He went from swimming the ocean in Florida that April to being placed on comfort care measures on June 15th. His organs failed. His lungs failed. He passed. I watched him take his last breath. And to make matters a little more dramatic, he lost his ability to communicate just after Mother's Day on that year. So there were no goodbyes, really, just crying, disbelief talking to somebody who couldn't communicate on a ventilator. It was awful. Now, just 24 hours after that, I actually was admitted to the hospital, had my third baby. <laughs> yeah, I laugh about it now, but it was not pretty. Okay, and, and she was right on time. She wasn't a preemie. I didn't stress-induce myself into labor. She was actually right on time. Um, but I was that big, fat pregnant lady walking through the ICU to say goodbye to her, her dying father. It was terrible. And on the day of his funeral, I helped push his casket down the aisle holding a newborn down the aisle of the church. It was terrible. Yeah. And for those of you who have not experienced grief, don't look for it. <laughs> it's awful. It changes you forever. So just six weeks, here's where it gets juicy. Just six weeks after burying my father and having yet another baby, I had to return to work at the clinic. Six weeks later. Okay. I was a hot mess. And no one seemed to understand. And I actually found myself pretending I was the same and everything was fine. Okay. I had to pretend that helping people with diabetes again didn't bother me, but it did. Because here's why it bothered me. Just, just pay attention. I, I don't resent you people with diabetes. I don't resent you people with chronic disease. I resent the system. I'm trying to work through it. Okay. But my father died of an unpredictable, poorly understood, barely treatable, almost experimentally treated and unmanageable disease. I could not help him. Compared to that, diabetes was actually a breeze. But I noticed even more now coming back that the medical community, we, they complicate it. They make it expensive. They make it super complicated. But managing it is actually relatively simple. And here I was after seeing it again, I was pissed again. Pissed. And the providers in the clinic really started to get to me because they, I noticed them saying things like, just give him whatever keeps the heatest measures, AKA the numbers in the green. Okay. So I'm worried about the patients inevitably becoming so obese with insulin that it's, it's a problem for everybody, but they're telling me the numbers are what matter the most. 
And I noticed, again, the doctors were treating numbers, not people. Okay, but that's not every doctor. But I mean, it's a trend. Can't ignore that trend. Okay, I guess this is why I'm an angry pharmacist. So when you go through something like that, you become very disenchanted very quickly, and, and especially by our current system. And, you know, when my mother not so subtly said she wasn't doing good, now that she didn't have her husband of 43 years, I'm just like, you know what? We're just going to move down by you because let's be honest, I'm not doing well either. My family's not doing well. We don't know what to do without dad. You know, work doesn't understand. We're making people sicker with what we're telling people. It was ridiculous. So I moved down here closer to the family so we could all kind of group together, weather the storm. But looking for jobs was a nightmare. One, because it just, I felt completely disenchanted. But also, I also was completely overqualified for any pharmacy job down in this area. So if I couldn't get a job, I was going to make one. And the idea of just coaching people with diabetes started. It's just like, why don't you just do this? Because that's what I did most days anyway in the clinic. People come in. I told them what not to do. I told them what to do. Get them off the meds. Change their life. Boom. Of course, the problem is that now that I'm an entrepreneur, it's much harder to convince people that you can help them. And that the solution is much easier than they've been told. Especially when they're distracted by ads about supplements. Uh, and ads with half-naked people doing exercise for an hour. And people promising massive gains in five minutes. It's very frustrating. But I know being successful as a diabetes health coach is a must. It's a must for people that need my help. It's a must for my family. And it's a must because a year before my father died, he asked me to start my own healthcare company, my own business, because I am good at people, helping people. I am good at reaching people. I am good at seeing people where they are and helping them climb forward a little further. But I told him no then. And I said no because it sounded like a hassle and it sounded like trouble and it sounded like work. Not that I'm afraid of work, but at that point I was tired. I mean, think about this. He literally asked me to do what I'm good at to help other people and I said no. And that is the only regret I have after he passed. The only regret. So maybe doing this diabetes health coaching thing, maybe being this angry pharmacist and trying to wake people up and help make them realize how much simpler it is to actually manage diabetes than you've been told. Maybe this is my way of preventing another daughter from losing her father too soon or another son from losing his mother too soon. Okay, or somebody leaving this world way too early from a disease that is relatively easy to start managing. Either way, I know it's the very best thing that I could possibly do, and I put all my time and effort into doing it. So, if you need help, let's do it. Let's kick some ass, because it's already been done. We've already helped people. People have already gotten off drugs. They've already reversed their sugar sickness. You just have to decide that that's what you want to do. And if you're ready to make that decision, again, go over to www.drchristello.com. Take a look at the Sugar Reset Challenge. Take a look at my VIP settings. Start somewhere. Stop drinking soda. Start drinking water. Do something. Because it is as easy as switching what you're eating to completely change your life. This disease is not really unmanageable. It is not unpredictable. But that's what it's been made to be because that's how you stay on the drugs. True story. All right.
that's it for me today. That's my full story. I'm, I have a million and a half patient stories of how things are done inappropriate and how people change their lives. But I needed to understand the passion and the emotion I have around this mission and maybe convince you to take a chance on that first step towards changing your story. All right, guys, that's it for today. I'll talk to you next time.